so as is or as has become our pattern when uh, we launch officially it's been uh, on view on site in the cafe area for the past couple of weeks um, but when we launch a new painting uh, we have a little video that goes along with it and uh, so Ross has he's not here today but Ross has put a video together today and the uh, video as ever begins with the reading that the painting is based on so um, you will find out very quickly uh, what we're focusing on from Luke's gospel today so Astonished by his answer, they became silent. So, Martin, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's Martin Coyle. I'm um, coming to the cafe here at the church around about a year now. Um, I met some really nice people in, in my time here, both in the staff and the people that use the church. Um, been to the services a few times, um, got to know the pastor. Um, and really, you know, enjoyed you know, my time here and, and enjoyed meeting new people. Um, I've had um, on and off addiction for, for, for some time now and been struggling with that over the years, but coming to the church has gave me a bit of hope in the future um, that, that things might, might change for the better um, and encourage me. Um, I'm lucky as in the fact that I do have faith and do believe in, in God um, and believe that God wouldn't take me this far just to let me down now. Um, you know, and that if, I've, if things have happened in my life, it's because of the decisions I've made, not because of His will for me. Um, you know, my problems start when I separate. God's will, get God's will confused with mine, and start making wrong decisions, and then I get led down a dangerous and bad path by other people. But the one thing that I know throughout Jesus has never deserted me. You know, he says I will never leave or forsake you, and I don't believe he ever has. You know, if anybody's moved. If anybody's moved away, it's been me who's turned my back on God, never God turning his back on me. And every time I turn back, he's been there. 
concept hanging in the air, give to God what is God's. Well, what is, he's saying that to somebody who's made in the image of God. What, so, yeah. so what you're saying is, is he's, he's, the, the question's left hanging here, and I'm stealing from Ian very much so, is that he's saying give yourselves to God, mm-hmm. because you are his image. Yeah, you bear his image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, some, uh, something that I tried to build into the composition of the painting was that sense of what's more important, uh, financial wealth, or is it the, the human beings made in the image of God? You know, and there's, there's the direct contrast between the coin that's there uh, and the face. And the, um, my friend Martin, who's, in the, who's the model for the painting, uh, I mean, he's really honest about the fact that he's had struggles in his life. And um, the, the, his face then contrasted with the face that's on this coin, the, the Queen. And to have someone who doesn't have that esteem in the world's eyes representing Jesus is important for me. Um, and, and also, um, I patterned the composition of the painting after uh, there's a, uh, a rediscovered Leonardo da Vinci painting, uh, Salvatore Mundi, which was uh, it was sold at auction recently, and um, yeah, and, and it's now the most expensive painting in the world with the value that it's sold at auction. Um, so just to have that in the back of my mind, yeah. Do, do you know what really grabs me about the painting as it's emerging? I know you haven't finished it yet, but but it's just both Martin and the Queen are both on journeys, but journeys of Christian faith. You know, uh, and and the Queen is is clearly a Christian who recognises that she's made in the image of God, and and Martin recognises that he too is made in the image of God. Uh, and as you say, it's his image this time that's in the painting, and he's holding the tiny image of the Queen, you know, yeah, which yeah. is in a pound coin, which is worth so little. You know, there's there's a kind of an interesting reversal, and yet there's a connection between the two, and two people who will, in all likelihood, never meet. Uh, well, this age of eternity, and yet will be co-heirs. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really interesting for me to have, uh, deliberately to have different people representing Jesus, painting Jesus as in one of the paintings. Um, there's so much to Just to, to be able to help people contemplate uh, who is Jesus. So often we default in, in films and imagery and yeah. paintings and art. We always default to the beautiful Jesus, the Western Jesus, the white Jesus. You know, um, and, and, you know, Isaiah fifty three. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Jesus was unrecognizable, unremarkable. They had to get Judas to kiss him to point him out in a crowd because otherwise they wouldn't have known. He didn't have, you know, a kind of white robe and a glow around his head. Um, and, and actually there was a, a, a gritty reality, I think, about the, the physicality of Jesus, yeah. um, which, uh, you know, in terms of the image of God, we think that something made in the image of God must be beautiful uh, and instantly recognisable. And yet it's not. Jesus was 
obscure in the sense that we did not recognise who was right under their noses. Surely that's the challenge for us though as well. You know, Christ had no beauty that we that would be holy. And yet he is the most beautiful man who whoever lived, whoever existed. He did the most incredible thing for us. And and we look at any person, no matter how much we love them, how much how much we hate them, no matter how much we struggle to see them as a person, that beauty of God is there. There is beauty there, there is goodness there, there is something intangible there that we have to honour. Yeah. And it's it's always it's always a difficulty. And I remember struggling with this concept of what is the image of God because historically there's been lots of ideas and you know Thomas Aquinas would say, Oh, it's the intellect and it's other people would say, Oh, it's it's their ability of speech and, and you know, yeah, but parents can speak and what about what about the person who has no intellect? What about the smallest baby who's still in the womb? You know, there's still something there that is of God. And and I know personally where I sit with that, I, I, I believe that part of it's we're, we're creators. We all have to have creativity in some way or another, uh, which is part of why I love this project. Because, you know, God painted this universe. And he, he's created, he's spoken into existence, and you're painting things into existence. But there you are bearing that image in a very real way. I mean, I knit. That's my creativity. Mm. You write sermons. We all have a different way, a different mode of being creative. Sometimes our way of being creative is destructing. You know, somebody goes and sets a bin on fire. That's, they created fire. <laughs> but, but it's still a creative act. They're still bearing God's image. And so that, that constant struggle to find what is beautiful in this person. So there's that tension then being made in the image of God, but how tarnished or fallen has that image come from its original intention? Because salvation, redemption, you know, the gospel is is, is good news about God's plan to, you know, to, to find, you know, treasures in the attic, yeah. you know, to find junk and, and, and to fix it up, uh, to redeem it from, 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 you know, the salvage yard or whatever. Not, not surprisingly, the idea of Everyone being made in the image of God really, really fascinates me. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're a, a snapshot of God or a portrait of God. And I wonder, is there something that I can know about God by meeting you that I wouldn't know from anyone else? Is there something that I can know about God from meeting you that I wouldn't know from meeting anyone else? Uh, you know, sometimes if I go to a foreign city, or you sit in the airport and you just people watch. I mean, I just find it overwhelming sometimes. It's somewhere like Heathrow, yeah. where every culture and every nationality, every ethnicity is is there. And apart from that, just no two faces are exactly the same. Yeah. And you just think, you know, the, the uniqueness and individuality. Now, each of these people represents something of the image of God. It's staggering. It's like contemplating constellations or the galaxy or or the universe and and billions of galaxies and you just your head explodes (laughs) you know and and that's the extent of of what it means to be made in the image of God and and yet nonetheless um, Jesus says give to God what is God's he says to that person to him to anyone that will listen yes there are earthly responsibilities in terms of your taxes and your citizenship and I know I'm not going to be trapped by your question but here's a bigger issue here's a bigger issue what does it mean for to give back to God in the fullest sense and and you know we don't have to worry about Roman taxation anymore 
message maybe. But we do still have to be challenged by this word that says, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for Mark? What does it mean for the Queen <laughs> to give back, uh, to give to God what is God's? Okay. So there you are. There's... Uh, our latest uh, presentation in terms of the painting and the little video that goes goes along with it. Ian, come on up and we'll uh, have a wee chat just for a minute. I kind of feel we've probably covered quite a lot because <laughs> of the, the film, the, the, and it's a little bit longer, that one. Um, but let me turn this around here so that I can at least look at you when I'm talking to you. Um, so let me just start off by asking you, who do you look most like in your family? Oh, 100% like my dad. Oh, really? Uh, I, I actually, um, I uh, did the eulogy at his funeral, and there was lots of people who maybe hadn't seen me for <clears throat> 10 years or so, uh, and just before that, I'd, I'd started shaving my head, so, and my dad had been bald for years, so I, I automatically looked so much more like him, and uh, it was at the end we did that thing at a wedding with the lineup uh, people going past shaking shaking my hand I just had uh, about a hundred folks all shaking my hand saying, you look just like him <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah definitely I, I, I was I was named after him uh, so even as a baby I looked like him <laughs> well that was a kind of a, yeah all right all right okay <laughs> I think I look most like my brother but that's because he's my your twin. twin yes. <laughs> I, I, Alistair once tried on a hat of mine. I have a lot of hats. And uh, he, uh, and then he, he took a selfie and looked at himself. He said, oh, no, I look like my brother. I said, what, your, your twin brother? <laughs> yeah, okay. So the painting here. Yes. Can we bring it forward a yeah. little bit? All right, that's better. You can see it, see it slightly better. So, so you've got an image of the Queen there. Is that the first time you've painted Her Majesty? It, it, yes, actually. I, don't, I, don't, I hadn't painted uh, royalty. I've painted politicians, but I've not painted the Queen before. Okay. Did, did you have to get like, permission from the palace to do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> should, should you have? <laughs> um, it, certainly... Coins and, and stamps and things have been used plenty in pop yeah, culture. That, that, that's true. So, tell us what's going on in this painting. Um, I mean, we know what's going on in this painting because we've read the passage and we've just been reflecting in that little discussion that you and I and Shanana had uh, last weekend. But, but why did you take this particular approach to rendering the story of, of Jesus being challenged about that question, um, should we pay taxes or not? To Caesar or not? I, I thought there was there was a, a number of levels in which this is uh, challenging for me. Um, uh, Martin's not the the kind of person that people think of when they imagine Jesus uh, in their head. People might have seen another painting I've been working on recently, which is the crucifixion one, uh, and it, it's a painting of a Middle Eastern man with with long hair, and that's exactly what people. <laughs> think Jesus will look like. But, you know, a, a guy from Glasgow and, with kind and of sandy beautiful. hair. 
you know, had it, had he, you know, the guy who modelled for that painting is 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 a beautiful looking guy. Oh, he's ridiculously so handsome, and he's a dancer, and yeah, you know. so you get this kind of classic, beautiful Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, and he's, he's he's from Iran, and, and everything about him just looks uh, the part. Um, and and Martin, anyone who works in the cafe will have will have met Martin, and anyone. Uh, He's been at a number of services uh, over over the past year or so, and lots of people will have bumped into him. And I I was really challenged the, the first time I I paint I, we did the painting here, which was our Last Supper, and it was really important for me to have that sense of um, representing Jesus uh, and some of the poorest people in the city. You know Matthew twenty five. I've said it plenty of times up here before, but I think it bears repeating. Uh, Jesus saying, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. Um, and it is unexpected that we could see Jesus and the poorest folks in the city. And it's, I'm, I'm reminding myself about that in this painting. Uh, there's another little uh, visual thing. This is the third painting that this red scarf has, has appeared. Some people might have spotted that. Uh, I had decided right at the start of the project that every time Jesus would be in a painting, uh, that it would be a completely different person. But, uh, but I have this red scarf, which uh, if, if it works, then the model will wear that. We, we had a, uh, a newborn baby, uh, so that, that would, wouldn't quite work. And, and for the crucifixion, you know, a, a naked man who happens to be wearing a scarf would yeah. be a little odd would be odd but yeah, uh, but yeah okay. that's that's a little extra nod but it's it's interesting uh, thinking back about uh, the roman occupation and and what was going on uh, at, at that time and getting right to the heart of what um when jesus talks about proclaiming good news uh, and, and a number of times he talks about proclaiming good news to the poor uh, that sense of what that means and it's interesting because in the culture in the context of um, the Roman occupation, um, the phrase good news meant a very, very specific thing. When, uh, when there was a new Caesar, they would announce it with the phrase, good news, uh, Augustus Caesar uh, is king. And uh, the first Julius Caesar, which people will know from the Asterix books, uh, was the first one. And then, and then there was uh, Augustus Caesar. And, and around about this time, I think, who was, the, I've got it written down here. Um, there was another one, Tiberius, I think it is. Um, so, I, and there was always that sense that the Caesars thought of themselves as God. You know, that, uh, that wasn't uncommon in history. Same as the Pharaohs, they would proclaim themselves to be God. And in comes Jesus proclaiming good news of the kingdom of God. So uh, there's lots of ways that we think about the phrase good news, but in that context, it's actually remarkably provocative uh, what he's saying, proclaiming this alternative kingdom. Um, and I'm really, I'm continually interested by the phrases in the Bible where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And the most important one for me, I think, is in the Lord's Prayer, where he spells it out really, really simply. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, spelling out what do we mean by the kingdom of God, the sense of 
God's will being done on earth like it is in heaven? It's a big question and one that I'll get to in just a little minute, but, but what do you think it means for us to bear God's image? It's, it's an interesting one uh, because people often talk about being Christ-like um, and nobody ever assumes that that means having sandals and, yeah, and a, and a, a big white goonie. Um, but we, we can see very clearly from the New Testament um, that to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, uh, to be more like Jesus, we're talking about being more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and mm. kind and good and full of faith and self-controlled mm. and gentle. And I think when we have those flavors coming out in our character, we most bear the image of God. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually found... Uh, that's twice now I've listened to Martin's testimony um, and I actually find it really quite moving just the humility and the honesty and the simplicity he's just really engaging and I actually love the fact that in this painting there's something deliberately provocative and confrontational about this coin being shoved in your face but at the same time there's something about Martin's eyes both the way you've painted him and, and Martin himself and certainly, as I'm looking at it here, you know, it's, it's because it's look, you've painted him looking right at, he's looking right at me even as I stand here. Um, and there's something very penetrating uh, and, and compassionate, but also asking the question, you know, and what about you? <laughs> what about you, you know? Uh, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for any of us to bear the image of God? Great. You uh, had a bit of a deadline to meet with this painting. This, is it fair to say this is the this is the this has been the quickest one, <laughs> the quickest turnaround. Uh, How long did this one take? Uh, this was completed from start to finish in less than a fortnight. Right. Um, Ross okay. and I were, were looking through the dates and trying to figure out when will we have the, the painting launches, uh, and the the Easter one that's kind of obvious. And then we're trying to see when can we slot one in before then. Um, so. It was either this weekend or one that would be really, really close to Easter. Okay. So you ended up with fairly, fairly short periods of time. Um, you're not going to be around. You're tell us about you've got something coming up that's yeah, quite exciting. Well, this this had to be <laughs> finished this weekend because on Friday uh, I'm flying out with Tear Fund to Nepal. Um, I, uh, Fiona Morrison, uh, where is she? Uh, she I, I saw her earlier. Um, she sent me an invitation to the event that's going to be on here on, is it the 17th? 17th, yes. Uh, another little plug for the Tier Fund event that's on the, February. the 17th. Saturday, the 17th of February, in the evening, yes, at 7. And, and she should have known, <laughs> she should have known better because uh, she had already talked to me about this Tier Fund trip that I'm going to, uh, uh, to Nepal from the, the 9th till the, the 19th. Uh, and there's going to be a, a group of us. This is going to be uh, Tier Fund's 50th anniversary this year. And a group of 10 of us are going over to Nepal to visit five different locations where uh, they support different projects uh, around the country. Um, there's a particular emphasis on climate change. It's always the poorest people in the world who are most deeply affected by climate change. And Tier Fund have been right at the heart of some of that work. Uh, places that have 
been flooded again and again and again. There's places we're going to that have uh, been uh, earthquake yeah. zones. Um, so I'll be sketching and taking photographs when we're there and uh, be doing some paintings when I come back. Uh, exploring with the Church of Scotland's General Assembly whether I can be painting at the General Assembly again. And uh, there's two MSPs that are coming on the trip as well. Uh, one is from the SNP and one's from the Conservative Party. So that'll be an interesting yeah, mix. Interesting mix. Uh, but we're, we're trying to arrange an exhibition of the artwork, uh, hopefully on, in October in the Scottish Parliament. Great, fantastic. Well, uh, just briefly, do you know what you're going to see when you're there? A whole a, a series of different projects. Yeah, a, a series of different places. Um, we're going to be uh, uh, tootling about for four-hour journeys, and uh, okay. I don't know if it's minibuses or Land Rovers. Yeah, it'll, <laughs> be, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. That'll be sh that's good. Ian, thank you yet thank again. You. Let's, let's just pray for you and the rest of your trip as you go off to Nepal. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that Ian has to speak through art um, and, and to let that medium and that gift express truth uh, and present challenge. And so, Lord, I just pray for Ian and the others uh, going on that trip. We pray, Lord, that you will bind and blend that group as diverse as they appear to be together. And we pray that the experience of being in Nepal will just challenge them to the depths of who they are. But we ask, Lord, that you will keep them safe. We ask for traveling mercies, but Lord, that you will also expose them to what they need to see and hear in order to convey with passion uh, what touches them and what you speak to them about. So Lord, we just pray for Ian and this trip and ask your blessing uh, upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ian. We'll let you... Uh, Stand down. I want to just reread the passage. Actually, I want to read um, another passage, the Genesis passage first. Um, let me put that back. So, Genesis chapter 1, just verses 26 to 28. I'm sure well known verses, and up there behind you on the screen, there's Bibles at the front on the table if you want to grab one and read along later on. So first of all, from Genesis, then God said, let, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Amen. And then from Luke chapter 20, which is where the passage we've been thinking about comes from, reading verses 20 to 26. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere they hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said, 
Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Amen. I realize that we've thought quite a little around this passage already between the little documentary chat that we had in the film and with um, my conversation with Ian. So I just want to uh, invite you to think about another little aspect of this passage with me. It's a kind of, um, the, 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 the passage is a, a kind of four-stage uh, <coughs> development, if you like. It starts with the approach. Uh, the approach by these two uh, spies. Well, we don't know that there's two, actually. It just says that they sent spies. In my head, there are two, but I don't know why that is the case. And so there were the spies who were uh, sent, presumably, although we're not sure who it was that sent the spies, whether it was the chief priests looking for a way to get Rome on side, or whether indeed it was Rome itself suspicious about what this man was teaching and whether he was undermining Rome's authority. And then there was the question which begins, of course, with a heavy dose of, of flattery. We know that you speak and teach what is right. You do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. After such a billing, the only way is down, right? And then there's the sting. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <clears throat> and immediately in that question, Jesus is uh, put on the spot as to whether he's going to side with Rome in endorsing Roman taxation, whether he's going to come alongside uh, the enemy and say uh, taxation is right, in which case he's going to make himself an enemy of the people who were, who were oppressed and occupied, who loathed Rome, and who were feeling the pain and the burden of this cruel domineering force that took their money, and if they didn't have money, would take their land or their animals or even their children into slavery. And so to support taxation was to be against your own people and not to join in the uh, response of the people against Rome or the outcry of the people against Rome, which just heightened and sharpened their expectations of the Messiah to come and deliver them. On the other hand, of course, if he spoke out against taxation, if he spoke out with all of his following and his popularity against the Roman rule, if word got back to the governor that he was stirring up any kind of sedition, any kind of popular uprising against the Roman occupation, then he would be quickly and summarily dealt with. <clears throat> and so Jesus cleverly, as we know, answers the question whilst leaving them no wiggle room. Because in the answer, he was inviting them not just to recognize what ought to go to Rome, but challenging them about what belongs to God. And I got to thinking about who these spies were. Who, who were they? I mean, 
it looks like that they were wanting to hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. And so, in some respects, they, they were either Jewish or they were Gentile. But unlikely that they were Gentile. Much more likely that they were asking on behalf of the people, is it right for us to pay taxes or not? So that tells us that in all likelihood they were Jewish. And so if they were Jewish, they were either working on behalf of the priests and the Sadducees or the Pharisees, in which case they were seeking to do the dirty on behalf of those who were against Jesus in the Jewish community. Or they may well have been Jewish collaborators. We know about Zacchaeus. We know about Matthew. We know that there were those who were Jewish, but they worked for Rome. In the Second World War, there were collaborators who were hated and became enemies of the people because they worked and benefited themselves and were disloyal to their own people and community. And so, were these spies collaborators with Rome? And if they were collaborators with Rome, if they were spies, they were paid spies, probably, which meant if they were working for Rome, then they were getting a cut of the Romans' money which came from the taxation of the people in order <clears throat> to make a buck for themselves. Or if they were not, if they had come from the high priest and the Sadducees and, or the Pharisees, then they were acting against the image that God had created for them. They were acting in a way that was at odds because in their heart they were part of a conspiracy to hand Jesus over and have him murdered, which was at odds with the commandments of God. So either way, these individuals have either sold themselves out to Rome for the sake of some money or they've sold themselves out to the bitterness and the hatred of those who sent them in order to get rid of Jesus, who was a threat to the establishment. But whether Jewish or Roman, these were spies made in the image of God. And they bring their uh, duplicitous little question to ask Jesus. And Jesus challenges them with this image question. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. And so he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The image on a coin is, is an identifier, right? It marks the coin as belonging to a country of origin it has a particular uh, head of state or face that is recognizable to that uh, dominant power. I bet all of us have got random coins that we've collected from travels around the world uh, in drawers and places. And we know that as soon as we bring them into this country, they mean nothing. 
They're a curiosity. They're a souvenir of our travels, but they have no power. The best you can do is hope that, you know, the coin will be around about the same size and shape as a coin in this country that you can use it in a slot machine if it's the right weight or pass it in some loose change and hope that it doesn't get spotted. But it has no power here. It only has power in the place where it's from. And so the coin or a note ties in to the country and the state and the financial system which legitimizes it as currency and as tender in that place. And Jesus takes the question of the image on the coin and then he challenges these two spies. He challenges them and reminds them of where they've come from. Reminds them that just as the coin belongs to the Roman Empire, so their image belongs to God and should be given back to God and that God is in the, is in the business of seeking and longing for and wanting our uh, image to reflect Him. What does it mean to bear the image of the God? For some people, for the image of God, for some people, bearing the image of God means having consciousness, having uh, a mind, having self-awareness, being uh, an order above the animals, if you like, the other species. And so we are made in the image of God because we are capable of rational thought and, and self-awareness and reflection and, and loads of things that, as far as we know, are not represented anywhere else in the, in the created order. But bearing the image of God also means that we're relational people. We form relationships and are capable of a relationship with God and with other people. And being made in the image of God also is a functional description, which means that we've been given the responsibility of stewardship and care for the earth. And when they were made in the image of God, tied into that was that responsibility to rule over and steward wisely and well, to act on God's behalf in the world. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does it mean all of the above? that we are like God because of the way we are and the, and the capacity that we have? Are we like God because we are relational and capable of a relationship with Him? Are we like God because we are exercising His stewardship on His behalf as under-stewards, uh, as, as those who've been given the responsibility? But whichever way it is, We have to recognize that God is calling us and calling us to be sure that the way that we are reflecting is reflecting Him, that what we are reflecting is reflecting His character and His nature, reflecting, as Ian said when we talked just now, the fruit of His Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The image of these two spies, because it seems that they were Jewish, 
was the image of two men who had been given a particular calling by God to the nations. Here were two men who in their heritage and ethnicity were a part of a people who had been set apart by God to say something and to live something and to demonstrate something to the other nations. And they were failing to do it. They were failing to do it. They were part of the Jewish people who'd been given a special responsibility to demonstrate the character of God and the will of God and the nature of God to the world. But they failed to do it. Hence, Jesus' challenge to these two Jewish men, or however many there were, give to God what is God's. You see, you belong to God. You are the people of God. And what you do and what you choose and how you live is not just yours to decide. And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are those who have been bought at a price. We are those who have been called into relationship with God and had the image of God restored through forgiveness, through our relationship with God. He calls you and he calls me to ask ourselves, what does it look like in the ordinary things? What does it look like in the ordinary business to bear well the image of God and to give back to him what he has purchased? <laughs> you, with his own blood, with his own life. So in the ordinary things, God asks you to go and to represent him. God asks you, and he asks me, to look at all the ways in which we might be tempted to sell ourselves out for other gain, like these guys had done, either for kudos with the chief priests or for a backhander from the Romans. They were trying to sell Jesus out, corrupting the image of God for their own personal gain, and Jesus challenged them and said, give back, give to God what is God's. You are God's, made in his image, made for his purposes. And as Christian believers, bought into his service, not as slaves, but as dearly loved adopted sons and daughters. And so as we uh, go into an ordinary week, we're called to be extraordinary people, not by our own doing, but by allowing God's redemptive grace through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through his work, his word at work in our lives, to call us back time and time again to the question, give to God what is God's. Let's pray together. Father, we will go this week into the ordinary business of our working week, of studying, of working, of doing whatever it is that we do. We will play our part in some way or another. We will work, and part of that working will be to pay taxes. 
or we will contribute in some way to give back to society because it's important that we play our part. But Lord, we ask that beyond that, you would show us what it looks like to do all of that ordinary stuff, to give to Caesar, as it were, what is Caesar's, but to do it in a way that looks like it belongs first and foremost to you. Lord, we recognize that we are part of a city, a society that perhaps increasingly ceases to uh, recognize that calling to give back to God what is God's. We live in an individualistic, sometimes very selfish society, but you've called us out of it. And so we pray for it. We pray for our city. And Lord, as we hear of these two MSPs going to Nepal, we pray that they, in their uh, service to the state, will be profoundly moved by the work of God in these places. That they will be moved as they see the difference that people of faith make and are making amongst some of the poorest communities of the world. And we pray, Lord, I don't know who they are or what their relationship with you is like, but we pray that they will be profoundly challenged, not just politically, but spiritually. And we pray, Lord, that the impact of that trip on their lives will send ripples through their colleagues in power and in politics. For, Lord, we pray that the public life of our city, of our nation, would again be affected influence challenged and changed by the prophetic voice of the gospel in this day and in this age. So hear us as we pray, Lord. Go before us and make us wise in all our dealings in your name. For we pray through Jesus. Amen.